All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Today we're going to finish up the parable on the seed and the sower. We started the parable of the seed and the sower last, uh, last week. And it's a two-part series. If you Obviously, if you weren't here, you can hear it online. All the, uh, the messages are posted online, so you can, you can hear those uh, there. Uh, but there's so much in this parable, I wanted to chop it up so that we could really get what we need to hear um, out, of this, out of this message. Uh, so, uh, I want to reread that parable to you, and here is what it says. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, beginning in verse 3, And he spoke many things to the people in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate them up, and others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came, and they said to him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And the reason was self-explanatory. They weren't understanding anything. So they were asking, Why are you doing this? And he answered, and he said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. By hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. And he gives the reason for this. And it says, For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they do see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, just before going on, I just want to do a real quick commercial time out on this. For those that weren't here last week, the reason why Jesus is now teaching the people in parables is because... God finally replied to the people as, God, as Jesus was trying to make himself known to the people and all the things that God is doing and that Jesus is the promised one as foretold through the prophets. The Jews were constantly running Jesus out, 
trying to stone and kill him. They were calling him a blasphemer. They did not receive Christ. And because up until this point, Jesus, those first 12 chapters in Matthew, Jesus is going full throttle on the mission, and the people said no. And finally, through Jesus, God said back to the Jews, okay, no. And from that point on, the whole mission of Jesus, you don't see the parables, you see them now. Because now Jesus, as a form of judgment on the Jews of that day, Jesus is disguising what he is saying to the people. Why? Because now he is saying no to them. And that's because of the hardness of their hearts that God did this. So when you read this, and it's like the disciples, why are you teaching like this? What gives? You haven't been teaching like this. This makes no sense. Nobody can understand what you're saying. He pulled them aside, and he told them, I'm going to tell you why. And then he gave them the answers to what we just read in the sower and the, and the seed that we're about to read right here. But for those of you who were not here and you're not aware of why was Jesus doing this, it was a form of judgment. It was a form of judgment. That should remind us that we cannot afford to, to run in sin. We cannot afford to think God doesn't take sin seriously as we play with it and we continue to live in disobedience. We cannot afford to do that as believers. Why? Because your sin will find you out, right? That's what the Bible says. You cannot escape uh, the penalty of, of living or being in a state of disobedience. As the Jews were saying no and no and no to Jesus, finally Jesus turned around and said, okay, no. And when that shift happened uh, in the gospel that he was uh, delivering to the people became broader and it opened up to the Gentiles. That's us. That's us. So here's this moment we see in all history where it changed. It's right here. And 2,000 years later, we are still the recipients of that open door to the gospel until Jesus comes back, and then it shifts right back again. If you look in verse 18, it says this. It says, the sower explained. Here are the answers to that parable. Here then the parable of the sower, Jesus said. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Remember, the soil is symbolic of our hearts. All right? So the soil is the heart. Um, this is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one whom seed was sown among the thorns... Well, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. 
And the one on whom seed was sown on the, on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, in this passage today, as we wrap this up, we are reminded many Old Testament prophets and scribes and teachers and leaders, they longed to see the day when the Messiah was going to come, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It came and it went. The disciples are discovering that time that everyone, all their forefathers had wanted to see happen was literally happening right in front of them, and they had a front row seat to this revealing of who the Messiah is going to be. You want to know what's really interesting and exciting when you think about it? Every single one of us in this room, you have a front row seat still in seeing what God is doing in this world and seeing what God is uh, initiating, the things that are taking place. Did you know right now, right now, as we sit here in Rendon, Today, did you know that the biggest revival that is happening in this world is literally happening in underground churches in Iran? Did you know that? Iran. Iran. God is doing big things. And we are on the front line and we get to see it all play out. The disciples are seeing this same thing play out right in front of them. And they're just, they would be like what we would be. What is he doing? What does this mean? And what are, what are we to make of this? And so they go to him, and I'm glad that they did. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the answers as to what this parable means. Now, Jesus, we know, is the sower. You read that in the middle of Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the wheat and the tares that we're going to look at next week. So we know who the sower is, it's Jesus. And we know what the soil is, that's the human heart. We know what the seed is that's being sown, that is the gospel. It is the Bible. That's what we know the, the seed is. Uh, the seed is the word of God. John Phillips said of the seed, of the gospel, and you'll see this on the screen, he said this. Once the seed is sown, that imprinted law of life goes to work. The Word of God is the same. It carries within it the genetic code of eternal life. And when it is implanted in the right kind of soil, it germinates and it produces life. That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. Allow me to demonstrate it this way. When James Chalmers set sail for the Cannibal Isles, he was the idol of Britain. His friend Robert Louis Stevenson said he was, quote, bigger than a house and far bigger than a church. Years later, when news was brought back to Britain that James Chalmers had been eaten by cannibals, Joseph Parker of London City Temple said, quote, I cannot believe it. I don't want to believe it. End of quote. Called the Great Heart of New Guinea, Chalmers was a national hero. 
He devoted 30 years to sowing gospel seed among the cannibals, and he had great success. Over 130 mission stations in New Guinea alone bear witness today to the fruitfulness of his labors. As a result of his ministry, more than 3,000 natives of all ages gathered monthly to break bread in a communion service. Many of them, Chalmers had known as wild man-eaters, but they had been uh, radiantly transformed by the mighty power of the Word of God. Many of them still bore on their chest the tattoos that marked those who had achieved manhood by committing murder. Now they quietly took their places as regenerated men at the table of the Lord. What are we to make of this? Only transforming, only the, the, the transforming seed of the gospel can transform lost people. Amen? Amen. As the seed of God's word goes down into the hearts of those who hear it and receive it, new life begins to grow and spring out of them and brings about the change that only God can do today. Now let me ask you, before we jump into this, how are you right now in sowing that seed? How well of a job did you do in 2019 in sowing that seed? How well are you going to sow that seed in 2020? How many of you in this room, I know it's ridiculous, but I'm going to ask it. How many of you in this room know someone that is lost? We all know people who are lost. We have been given, we have been commissioned to be the sower of that seed now. You can do it by your lifestyle. You can do it by your actions. It's more powerful if you use words with those actions. You are the sowers going out into the world. You are the ones who are commissioned. Here's the thing we need to remember. We were not created to sit only on a pew. You were given the seeds. And the Lord wants you to distribute those seeds and let Him do the work on those to whom you sow the seeds to. Why? Because this life isn't lasting forever down here. There is eternity somewhere. And it's in one of two places. And that's the reason why Jesus came to earth. And so, having discussed the sower and the seed last week, today we're going to focus on the remaining part of the parable by looking at the four different types of soil that Jesus mentions. His focus is concentrated on the soil. Remember, the soil is the heart, those who hear the gospel. Um, after Jesus explains his purpose for speaking to the people in parables, he now breaks down and he interprets those parables to us. The first soil that we're going to look at is found in verses 4 and 19. You'll also see it up on the screen. It says in verse 4, 
And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And then when you bounce on to verse 19, it says, this is the interpretation, by the way, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is why there are times when you'll be witnessing, or maybe you're one of those people, the first time you heard the gospel, you responded. How many of you, you were not the first one to respond the first time you heard the gospel? I had to hear it a lot. A lot. This passage right here, Jesus is telling us the answer. This soil, this wayward kind of soil that the seed falls on, I'm going to refer to this as the closed heart. The closed heart. Is your heart wayward today? Do you have a closed heart today? You know, people with closed hearts are people uh, with hardened hearts, what the Bible calls a hardened heart. You want to know uh, what makes a hardened heart? And some people know they have a hard heart. There's a lot of people, they don't even know that their heart is hard. But you want to know what makes a heart hardened and so closed off? It's sin. It is. It's sin. The more and more and more a person resists giving in and doing what the Lord wants them to do, it will create within them a hardened heart. That is why the Bible says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Why? Because you're not guaranteed that when He comes back to you again, that you're going to be receptive. Why? Because every single time you say no to God in a particular area, or in this area, it's in the area of salvation, every single time a door shuts. And the more doors that are closed, the harder it is to finally get out, even if you want to. Why? Because you have a hardened heart. You're not even going to want to. That's, that's the point. Sin is what hardens heart. Whenever... A person harbors sins like unforgiveness, really bad attitudes, hatred, uh, bitterness, uh, lust, and, and, and anger, and, and you just hang on to that stuff. Your hearts get hard. These people who have hardened hearts, these are the people who are negative. To them, the glass is half empty. Um, to people like these that have this kind of a hardened heart, to them, they believe any religion is good enough. Any, it don't matter what you just believe. Just believe something, and, and, and you'll be fine. But what they fail to recognize is that there's only one religion good enough to die by. They don't know it, but they don't care. They don't care. You know, farmers today, they know how to break up the hard soil, don't they? They know how to break up the fallow ground. You know something else? Jesus also knows how to break that up. Uh, I can stand here today and say as a testimony to God's faithfulness to a hardened heart, 
that God will pierce the hardened hearts of those that you know and love. He did it with my dad. It, it took over 24 years of me praying for my dad. But it worked. But it worked. How many of you all here today know of someone in your life, very close to you, but you would think, yeah, I think they got a hardened heart. And you all know anyone like that? What you need to do and I would suggest today, you need to be praying, God, I want you to break up that, that hard soil in so-and-so's life. God, I want you to begin working on softening up that ground so that seed can fall once again, and they'll say yes this time. You know, in 1 Peter 1, 3, the Bible tells us, Peter tells us to, quote, prepare our minds. We need to prepare our minds. This ground must be prepared if it is to be useful in uh, receiving the seed of the Word of God. Now, the second soil is the stony or the rocky kind of soil. I'm going to refer to this as the careless heart careless heart and you'll see this on the screen too in your bibles it's in verses five and six which says and others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no death of soil but when the sun had risen they were scorched and because they had no root they withered away the disciples, when they asked them, what does this mean? Here's the interpretation. Jesus said this. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, well, this is the man who hears the word, and he immediately receives it with joy. But he has no firm root in himself. He's just temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, Immediately, he falls away. Now, this one is very much different than the first uh, one that we saw. We see here that there is a small layer of soil, uh, of dirt, I mean, on top of the ground, but it's just rocky. As the sun rises and the plant is scorched, and remember, too, the sun did not kill the plant. The sun didn't kill it. The plant never grew because the roots that were needed to withhold the tough times were, were gone. There was no root. There was nothing. You know what? That is the reason why your faith cannot be your mom and dad's faith in that, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to believe what my parents told me to believe. If I just believe what they told me to believe, then that'll be okay. That's not okay. Because your parents aren't going to be around forever, and it's up to you to decide what do you believe, and why do you believe what you believe. How did everything begin, really? Rationally, sitting down, thinking things through, how do you explain how we all got here? It's important that your parents, if they taught you Christianity and what it means to know Jesus and the importance of the church. And it's important that you 
live and believe what your parents taught you because it's clearly correct, but you need to make it yours. You need to make it your faith. Do you remember the time when you gave your heart to Christ? That's the most important question. I remember when, I don't remember the day, because of just being so clearly ignorant of what the Bible meant that when I got saved, there were many times I had to ask Christ to forgive me and save me again. It was only after that I started to grow, which the Bible says you're now starting to grow roots that can reach down real deep, and now you can withstand the tough times because you're firmly planted. It was only as I began to grow that I began to understand Jesus heard me the first time I called out to him. Because the Bible says he is not faithless. He will never go back on his word. The people we know in our life, people will go back on their word. Very rare is it to find a person who will be so steadfast that their word is their bond and they will never go back on it. And we equate God as that because that is what we're around a lot of the time. God is not man. God, when he says something, that's it. That, that's it. You can rely on him because God is faithful. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not maybe. Not when you get your act together. Whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. And if you have done that, God has saved you. On the authority that we read in God's word, he saved you. But if you have not yielded over your life to him, to commit your life to him, to ask him to be your Lord, and thereby he becomes your Savior. If you've not done that, you need to do that for yourself, for yourself. Now, a shallow ground also means a shallow heart. Jesus had a lot of followers that fit this parable right here, this soil, this heart type, uh, this careless heart. Um, the people loved his miracles. You would too. So would I. Uh, they loved his teachings. They loved the way he stood up to the religious Pharisees and confronted them uh, when it came to crunch time. Uh, they loved it when you raised dead people. Boy, that would be, that would be, you could sell tickets to that right there. That, that would be pretty cool. Um, but the problem is, they all left him, didn't they? They left him. The ones that shouted, Hosanna. Just a couple days later, we're screaming, crucify him. These are people with shallow hearts. They just go along for the ride. Hey, we're just in it for fun. These are the people right here that you can tell them the gospel story, and in the next breath, they're just going to ask you about the weather. It's just in and out. It's just, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. I got news for you. Your roots cannot go down too deep. If you're here today, um, it, regardless of your age, you have never arrived uh, before God as far as, I get it now. I know all that I need to know. You're never going to get to that point until you go home. You can always grow those roots a little bit deeper. I believe that what produces followers like 
this that we see right here that have no root. I really do believe this. I believe that a lot of people, uh, ministers primarily uh, of the faith, are responsible for creating these type of shallow-minded people. And here's why I believe that. Throughout my life, I've been a part of, of uh, revival services, evangelistic services, where the, the minister will come in and bring down the fire and brimstone type of message. And there is never anything, as far as follow-up goes, to make sure that the person who came forward to make a profession of faith actually did just that. It scare them out of hell and so that they'll come down and pray a prayer. Oh, I got news for you. If a person prays that they want to accept Jesus just to escape going to hell, then they really haven't accept, accepted Jesus. Because accepting Jesus, a friend's benefit of accepting Jesus is not going to hell, which is a pretty good friend's benefit. But the reason why we accept Christ is because we want him. We want to be with him. We don't want all what he does for us. We want him. We want the life that he gives, the ability that he gives, the power, the energy, the passion, the life-changing everything. We want him. And I think too many times people walk around with this false sense of security. And I think that in our churches today, we need to do a lot better job at helping people to discover what it means to grow uh, in Jesus. Now, in verses 7 and verse 22, we're going to see the third soil type in this parable. Um, I'm going to refer to this as the cluttered or the cloudy type of heart. In verse uh, 7, we see this. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. That's all it says. And then in verse 22, Jesus gives the interpretation, and he says this. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, like the rocky soil, these people show promise, but they have no lasting results. This is because the effectiveness of the seed, the word, it gets choked out. Unfortunately for us, Jesus tells us what the thorns represent and why these individuals get choked out and why they die. Their perspective is cloudy, to say the least, because their lives are cluttered with the things that never produce what they promise. And these thorns, uh, these weeds, these thistles, whatever you want to call them, what they represent, they represent worldly things that are around them, that are around us today. Every single one of us um, are around these three things. And the thorns... They choke out the plant. The weeds consume the water that is needed for growth. And the pursuit for worldly wealth chokes out the need for spiritual wealth. Uh, people that are, on, uh, that are operating on this type of soil, these are people that will say prayers, but they will never repent. There's a real big difference, too. To repent, it means to turn. When you turn 
to Christ, you are turning away from something else. I'll say that again. It's really important. You know, the Bible is big on talking on repentance, which is the most neglected word in our gospel presentation today. We just don't hear those words repent as they are outlined in the Scriptures. When a person turns their life over to Jesus, they are turning to Jesus. And in the process of turning to, they're turning away from whatever it is. Their own life, their hang-ups, their habits, their purpose, what they, how they were living, everything. It's to repent. To repent to, to repent is to turn to, to as much as it is to turn away. Um, there are three types of thorns in this little tiny explanation response that Jesus gave. One, he says, the cares of this world. That's a thorn. What are the cares of this world? This has to do simply with the problems of life. Whenever a person becomes a Christian, they are not excluded from the problems of life, are they? Not at all. When that tornado came through a couple days ago, it did not just jump over the house of believers and went after those that don't like Jesus. You can go like that. It doesn't work like that. Jesus says it rains on the just and the unjust. Now, there is a gospel, if you will, that's preached today. It's called the prosperity gospel. I got news for you. The prosperity gospel is no gospel. It's not a gospel. It, it's literally, it's a doctrine of demons is what it is. It's ridiculous. The disciples, they went through hard times. I think Paul kind of went through a few rough times in his life. I'll say that tongue-in-cheek. The cares of this world. They're, um, uh, problems like fire, uh, theft, uh, car accidents, uh, poverty, illnesses. We are all subject to these things. And this is a care of this world. And this alone is one thing that will keep people from going all in with Jesus. Another thorn that we see is the deceitfulness of riches. This has to do, obviously, with the prosperities of life. But also keep in mind as well, you can be ensnared by the wealth as much as you can be um, ensnared by the poverties of life. You can get used to that which you are comfortable with. And if it keeps you from going all in with Him, then it has you. The deceitfulness of riches. When prosperity arrives, it brings the traps of luxury and ease. And the gospel seed can be choked out by this. You know, I touched on it earlier because I knew if I didn't, didn't do it, I would forget it. And I'm glad I did. The biggest revival going on right now is in Iran. It's in Iran? It's in Iran? Well, the last that I've looked, they don't have a lot of freedoms over there, do they? They are literally told how they can live, what they are to believe, and how they are to think. They don't get a say. They don't get a say. Are they experiencing hardship? Yes. Do you need to tell the people over there that they're experiencing hardship? No. No, you don't. And because of that, the news of the gospel, or what's going on in China and the underground churches, the movement of God that's taking place. 
You don't have to tell the people who are needy that they are needy. They know it. They're not, their life, it's not working. There's got to be something better than what's going on right here. And they're experiencing it because they're at that point in their life. They're receptive to that. But to be caught up in the deceitfulness of riches, we say that we say yes to Jesus, but our lives show no fruit other than maybe an occasional attending a religious service or maybe bowing your head and thanking God for your food. And that's about it. It's the deceitfulness of riches. And then he ended it and he said, well, just the lust of other things too. That's another thorn. The lust of other things. This has to do with the pleasures of life. Even if the pleasure is legitimate, it can choke out the seed in your life. It basically depends on how much time you devote to it. You devote to it. I want you to keep one thing in mind. If a, if a, if a person professes to be a believer and that person has no fruit to show for it, I want to ask you, are they really a believer? Because anybody can call themselves a Christian. And there are millions that do it, and yet they don't know what one is. Is your life producing fruit? You don't have to produce the fruit of Billy Graham, otherwise God would have made you like Billy Graham. He just wants you to be faithful. Is your life producing fruit? Now, having seen the problem soils, we're going to look at the good soil, the fourth and the last soil. We're going to call this one the committed heart. We see in verses 8 and 23 this picture of the committed heart. It says, And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears... Let him hear. And then the interpretation of that is found in verse 23. Jesus said, And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and he understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, do you realize that a genuine conversion is experienced by fruit? However, even in this passage right here, we notice that not all believers will produce the same amount of fruit. There will be some that have not yet discovered the things that they need to do that would sharpen their abilities to produce more fruit in their life. It's just, it's called this thing called just growing in your faith. That's all this is. It's just a matter of, of growing. And moderate development can be seen in the lives of, of everybody. They love the Lord. They love His church. They love His people. They love the Bible. They are genuinely saved, and they take the initial steps forward towards faithfulness, which, uh, uh, which equates to fruitfulness. What is the miraculous thing about seeds? When given the chance, one tiny seed can produce 20 tomatoes, which is a fruit, but I think it's a vegetable, but they say it's a fruit, so we'll call it a fruit. 20 tomatoes, one seed. You know, one seed can produce many cucumbers. 
One seed can produce 12, uh, a, a dozen bell peppers, hundreds of beans, one seed. Let's wind this down. What is fruit? It's the reproduction of like kind. Take an apple seed, you plant it, get an apple tree. Same with oranges. Whatever. The good soil incubates and germinates the word of God, the good seed, and which it, it turns and it produces more seed that is just like that seed. As you point people to Christ and you live for Him, they in turn will do the same thing. The seed that you're passing out, as it affects those around you that are looking for something, they're going to grab onto that and they're going to experience what you experienced. Our fruit being demonstrated by our works tells the world that there is something much bigger and much greater than what surrounds us and what's going on down here. Amen? Amen. The Apostle James was right when he said, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And I want you to remember, in fact, I had to make sure I put this at the bottom of your bulletin. It's very important. We are not saved by works, but a faith will work. Amen? If a person says they have faith, then they're going to be working it. You're going to see it. You're going to see it. This parable, this parable is about the sower and the seed and the soil. It's about those who get it, and it's about those who don't. And it gives us many different pictures as to why that is. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. And God, we want to thank you that you've allowed us this time to take a look at what the, the meaning of the parable of the seed and the sower is. God, I remember it was in August of 83 when you started to uh, help me to discover that seed called the, the gospel, what Jesus did for me. I was 19 years old. Lord, I didn't have a clue about anything. I knew what the church was. It was a place that had a steeple on top and where you would go on Sundays. That is all I knew. Lord, I was just clueless. I was that person, Lord, that had a hardened heart. I just ran from it. And God, there are so many other pictures that every single one of us in this room, we can go back to and we can say, I was this person at this time in my life. And yet, Lord, you constantly chase after me. And I know, Lord, you've done the same for so many in this room. Lord, you love us with a love that we cannot connect to. It is so powerful. It was so rich. And it goes so deep. Lord, I just want to ask that today you would help us to reflect and to look inward at the soil, at our hearts, and to ask ourselves, are we ready to do, are we ready to produce the type of fruit that, that you want us to? To impact the lives of our family, 
uh, our, our close friends, people we work with, that they can see that there's a difference, that they can see that there's something worth living for that takes place not only in this life, but in, in this next one to come. God, it is my prayer that you would help the members here of Red Baptist Church to uh, be reminded that they are to sow the seeds. If we don't represent Jesus to our friends and family, then who's going to do it? Lord, I pray that for those here today, if they have been struggling with where they are in relation to your salvation, Lord, would you just encourage them to speak to one of the ministers today? We would love to get that completely clarified for them. They can know what it means to experience peace and eternal life. And Lord, for everyone else here in this room, God, for those who are willing and wanting to get out of where they have been and to be more and uh, how they live their life for you, I pray, God, that you would speak to them in this area. God, that you would remind them of the importance that they play in teaming up with you and helping to impact the people that they know that need to know about you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.